Welcome to the Phoenix Cast, a podcast about cybersecurity, technology, and innovation issues in the military. We are your hosts, John, Rich, and Kyle. Rich and I are both U.S. Marines, and the opinions expressed in this cast are those of the host, not official military policy. The opinions expressed by Kyle are his own, not of his employer or any other business he's associated with. For today's episode, we have a special guest, Jason. Thanks for coming on the cast. Could you provide the audience a quick intro for us? Hey guys, I am Jason. I was a Marine for 22 years, happily retired, and now working in cybersecurity out in the civilian world for a, a couple of different companies over the last few years. And it's really nice to be here having a band back together. Uh, I served with all of you over the years in the Marine Corps, and then also in our time in the civilian world, uh, we've all kept in contact and we, you know, we support each other continuously. And that's that's what it's about being a Marine. Hey, that is awesome. And so for today, we're going to talk about MCDP-7, which is a doctrinal publication on learning, and then we'll go into continuous learning. So to set the scene for us here, I'm going to turn it over to Rich, and he's going to let us know what even is an MCDP and why should we care about that? Yeah, thanks, John. So uh, Marine Corps doctrinal publications are higher order doctrinal pubs that contain the fundamental and enduring beliefs of warfighting and the guidance uh, and doctrine for the conduct of major warfighting activities. So um, having said that, yeah, I used a word in trying to define uh, a concept. Uh, so what is doctrine, right? Well, it's really the set of beliefs, right? And codification of those beliefs or bodies of teachings that an organization has for itself. Uh, so stated differently, Marine Corps doctrinal pubs are the belief system of the Marine Corps uh, when it comes to warfighting and all the activities associated with it. Um, and I think what's super relevant about today's conversation, you know, we're talking about MCDP-7, the latest in the series of Marine Corps doctrinal publications. It's titled Learning. Um, and what's super important about that is our commandant, our new commandant, General Berger, has put such an emphasis on learning that in 19 years, the Marine Corps hasn't produced a publication, uh, at least a Marine Corps doctrinal publication. And it has produced MCDP-7. And what General Berger has done is elevated the position of the commanding general of the Marine Corps Training and Education Command from a two-star to a three-star position. So this is our new commandant saying, hey, learning's important, so much so that I'm going to create a new Marine Corps doctrinal pub on it by itself. And I'm going to elevate the position in rank of the person who's charged with training Marine Corps entities at the individual and collective level. Uh, so I think it's super important and super relevant to talk about learning in the context of cyber in IT operations um, moving forward. So I think that's my, uh, my definition for today, John. Over to you. Awesome, Rich. Hey, thanks so much. Hey, I wanted to start this one off with uh, one of the quotes, a quote right from chapter one. As a lifetime serial learner, I found that ordinary people can do the extraordinary who are committed to experiential learning, are intellectually curious, and possess an unquenchable desire to acquire new knowledge. This may be our only advantage in the future fight. And that quote's attributed to Lorna Maylock. Maybe all our listeners may not know, but Lorna Maylock is a brigadier general and the head of C4, uh, our head communications organization for the Marine Corps. Uh, so I just think it is infinitely cool that it, you know, the scene set by Rich, you know, first pub in nearly 20 years and the importance of all of that stuff. And the fact that this is all kicked off by a brigadier general who is in charge of communications for the Marine Corps. Uh, so just really interesting, really relevant. And, and, and out of that quote, the thing that I really liked was the intellectually curious, because I, I've kind of boiled leadership and, and selection of personnel kind of down to two things. I need to have a good attitude and I need to have people who are intellectually curious. I've become less and less enamored with previous experience and everything like that. And just more into, hey, if you've got a good attitude and you're intellectually curious, that's doing it for me. Uh, and on that note, uh, Kyle, what, what, are your, what are your thoughts on the quote or, or just the MCDP in general? So uh, 
you know that you're good friends with your old Marine buddies when they send you a brand new MCDP and say, you got to read this. So I just want to thank you guys for bringing this to my attention. I didn't know that I needed to be up on the latest MCDP publication, and this is awesome. I think the quote is spot on. I think that the best people that you're going to surround yourself with, no matter what, are the people that are infinitely and unquenchably curious about the world around them. And you know, in our realm, in the cyber realm, in IT in general, those people are the ones who are just always learning. Those are the ones that are always challenging the status quo and trying to, you know, break things whenever they can for for the greater good. Absolutely. Yeah. And 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 that really kind of feeds into everything else. Uh, Jason, any thoughts on that? He's still on mute. I'm still on <laughs> mute. So that's how we're going to start this cast for me. Uh, I'll be on mute a lot, I think. No, I, it's imperative. I, I'm happy, you know, when I retired almost five years or over five years ago, you know, we used to talk about the C4, the department, like what is, what is the right rank level and the importance of the C4 realm within um, the military community and how it supports the warfighter in that we, we had a belief or I had a belief back then is that we need to up level our commanders into these right positions to ensure that we are communicating at the right level across the force to reinforce the importance of uh, C4 and cybersecurity. So I think having this doctrinal publication out there uh, helps reinforce that in how we're starting to think about who the right leaders are within the cybersecurity and information technology realm in the military. Absolutely. Uh, Rich, any thoughts on this? Oh uh, yeah, thanks, John. So um, I know that we focused a lot on the on the first part of the quote, which is which is great, the the, the meat and potatoes of it. Uh, but I'd like to just kind of focus on the last statement that uh, General Moloch makes, which is, you know, this may be our only advantage in the future fight. So um, I think that a lot of folks think that if you know, and I'll de- de- uh, define the acronym here. So C four Command Control Communications and Computers, right? That in and of itself, right? is the body in which uh, you know the Marine Corps kind of focuses their technology investments from an IT perspective. But then when you kind of merge it with cyber and you bring in this exquisite intelligence, right? And now you have people actually doing things in the operational environment where C4 is a component of. I think what's super important here is that we actually have to be able to take advantage of this concept of learning and being able to adapt uh, and this whole intellectually curious statement that that she um, that the general kind of talks about in her in her quote is super important because really it doesn't matter what you know going into a battle it's how do you apply that knowledge um, and being intellectually curious in real time to see what the enemy is doing um, or knowing that you have to observe them but can't and try to close that gap, I think is super important. So I, I just want to make sure that we like tied the last part of her quote into the actual war fighting function, because as you mentioned earlier, John, and kind of what the, uh, Jason and Kyle mentioned as well, we want people that can actually adapt in real time. That's the intellectually curious part, not just saying, hey, I know a lot of stuff and don't know why this isn't working, but it should, because I know a lot of stuff really isn't going to help us have a tactical advantage against a thinking adversary. So back to you, John. Awesome. Thanks so much, Rich, for that. Uh, So one of the things the book kind of goes into early in the beginning is is learning and kind of breaking learning down into training versus education. Um, And and I know Jason had a bunch of time uh, working with training and education and feels very passionate about it. Uh, So Jason, I want to turn over to you, get your thoughts on, is this whole training versus education, is that even really a thing? Do we need to focus on that? Or is that just some kind of made up words? that have no context. No, absolutely. Training and education is is paramount in the military. I mean, I spent time in the schoolhouse with Rich, and when I retired, my last uh, position was at uh, the MAGTAF staff training program, which is a uh, an organization in the military or in the Marine Corps that trains general officer staffs. So moving up the chain of command, moving across uh, your military occupational specialty and becoming smarter at what you do helps you prepare for the the next battle. You know, I I look at General Mattis and he was he was a voracious uh, reader of history to help him prepare for the next war. And we adapted that in Iraq by lessons learned from Vietnam, right? 
and we we took our lessons from an insurgency and brought it to a modern warfare. The challenge today is that training and education within the cyber realm is highly important because technology adapts so fast that we actually have to be, you know, you say you want to be at the cutting edge of technology. Frankly, where we have to be in the military is ahead of that technology. Our, our doctrinal thinking, first off, and then that military theory that come out of the School of Advanced Warfighting or top-level schools, they have to think beyond the history. They have to, they have to define the future and where we're going and be prepared for it um, from a, a doctrinal standpoint, but also from a, a technological standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and another quote the book has here is says the training prepares Marines for known factors where education prepares Marines for the unknown factors. Uh, Kyle, any thoughts on that? Man, the known versus the unknown, right? As a, as a Marine and a CrossFitter, that, I love that portion of it. I think it's tough to try to separate training versus education versus what's going to prepare you for known and versus unknown. I think they're both going to overlap a great deal. Absolutely. Uh, Rich, any thoughts on training and education? Yeah, thanks, John. Um, so I agree with Kyle. Um, I would say on the training aspect of it, um, the first time you've experienced something should not be when human lives depend on it, right? So that's, to me, that's the training aspect, right? Like um, I've heard a lot of people uh, who are brilliant uh, infantrymen and women or also uh and also, you know, brilliant in the cyberspace say things like, hey, you know, when I first jumped out of an airplane, my vision was very narrow. Why? Because I had never done that before. So I'm not while I'm in the jump paying attention from a 360 degree perspective. Right. And the same thing, like if you apply it directly to a provisional infantryman, if you're a leader leading that provisional infantry platoon, the first time you're getting flanked should not be when it happens in battle because you won't be able to recognize it, right? That being said, we train to approximate the conditions of battle, right? So we're never really gonna get there because you can't really make somebody believe their life is on the line unless it really, really is. But you try to approximate that as best you can. So I think from the training side of the house, you don't ever wanna see something first when it's the basics of what you're supposed to do in your warfighting function. Now, having said that, being able to think four or five steps ahead, like almost in the game of chess, where you can recognize patterns, pick out an anomaly, and then focus on that anomaly, or you know what Malcolm Gladwell will call an outlier, that gives you the tactical advantage because you could see it and react to it faster than somebody who's never seen those patterns before. Um, and then you kind of gain an advantage over the adversary. Um, and then as Kyle mentions, when it comes to education, right? or Jason mentioned, we talked about General Mattis just being a voracious reader. Like you just got to do that. Like you have to be passionate about your occupation and learn. And from an educational perspective, if that's devouring books or listening to podcasts or actually jumping into training and getting your hands on the keyboard, then you just got to do that. Yeah. And I'll follow that up since you brought up Mattis, you know, the General Mattis quote that always applies to this topic for me is we talk about doctrine being the last refuge of the unimaginative. And it's important to understand that these doctrines that are being published, they are the, the theories and theorems of warfighting as the Marine Corps understands it right now. And it's every Marine's responsibility to be educated and experienced enough throughout the process to know if that's still meeting the needs of the Corps or the needs of your particular situation. And the reason that we come up with these is because smart Marines who are at the tip of the spear are writing them. So challenge yourself, go become that Marine who's at the tip of the spear of whatever that topic is that you are focusing on in your career and help rewrite the next version of your doctrine. Kyle, I love that Mattis quote, uh, doctrine being the last fashion of unimaginative. Uh, that, that's always a nice one to toss in every, while, every now and again when someone uh, gets into the Kool-Aid a little too heavily. What I was going to throw in when you all were talking is that the interesting part with training and education, in my mind, is you, you have to wrap it back into mission accomplishment, right? So the, the old saying is you, you train how you fight. And what we've, what we've done over times as a collective, as it's the four of us, is we always think ahead of what is the future mission? What are we going to have to do when we do that Riptoa in the battle space? What do we have? To, how, do we, how do we prepare our Marines 
to be an effective fighting force as information technology professionals or cybersecurity professionals. And we have to be able to think of a training and education program that directly supports that mission. And I think the challenge that we find today, especially in the cybersecurity and information technology realm, is that technology advances far faster than our ability to effectively train and educate our Marines for that future battle. And that's a challenge that I think we all have to, to think about and get ahead of. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I know that when I transitioned out of the Marines and got to the civilian sector, it was sort of shocking uh, how far, you know, quote unquote, behind the curve I thought it was when I was in. And it's interesting to see the, the ways that the Marines are more advanced than a lot of outside companies. But when it comes to the specific implementations of technology, they're just always going to be slightly behind. And so the real challenge we face is how do we catch up? How do we close that gap? Yeah, Kyle. So um, I'll pick up from there because I think, you know, you and Jason are hitting the nail on the head here. So um, without, without getting into what we specifically do on a daily basis um, on the podcast, I'll just say it is hard enough, right, in the cyber community, or we'll just call it the security engineering community for both offensive and defensive professionals to do their job. Uh, at the basic level of brilliance required to just do the things they're tasked to do. Uh, so let me unpack that for a second, right? So it takes one time for the adversary to get something right, and the defender has to defend everywhere, right? Or in theory, they do, right? We talk about reinforcing certain defenses with um, obstacles and covering them with fire, like in the real life battle on the battlefield in the kinetic sense, but we also do the same thing in the cyber domain, right? So I guess what I wanted to say here uh, is that, you know, when, when we're talking about training uh, and education, on the training side of it, we're talking about like the reps and sets, right? The plays and practice you do every day. So Jason's point of getting our folks uh, the experience that they can that closely approximates warfare because you can never really get there. People won't do things when their life is not in danger that they would do when their life's in danger, right? So, uh, but getting the reps and sets of that actual training, um, applying the skills and knowledge they have to a task is super important. And I think in the cyber domain, what becomes really hard is, um, how do you react when the enemy is doing something that you can't necessarily observe? Having said that, I 100% believe that the same thing occurs in the kinetic sense from like an infantryman's perspective on the battlefield, right? You might not know as a young second lieutenant platoon leader that you're getting enveloped. Why? Because you've never seen that before, right? So you, you try to do these reps and sets with your platoon in a training environment, but what does that really look like when it's happening in real time and the snaps of the rounds are flying over your head or, or next to you and those mortar rounds are coming in? It's the same thing that a cyber operator goes through or a cyber leader goes through in the cyberspace, right? When, when you're trying to defend something, you don't necessarily know what the enemy is doing to maneuver around you unless you actually have experience with all these defensive tools that give you visibility into what that bad guy may or may not be doing. So I guess the point I'm trying to make here without going on too much of a rant is I believe fundamentally that there are almost exactly the same training steps you have to go through in the cyber domain as you do inside of the physical kinetic domain for the land domain of warfare that the Marine Corps has, has done amazingly over the past you know 200 plus years of its existence by implementing maneuver warfare. So, um, so anyhow, I'll end my rant there. And just kind of say, you know, things aren't so different from a training and education perspective when you're when you're trying to prepare a Marine, no matter if they're in the cyber domain or in the land domain or the other domains of war fighting. So, Kai, I don't know what your thoughts are on that uh, over you. Yeah, I think that's absolutely spot on, man. Um, I mean, there, there are fundamental differences between how you'll train cyber versus physical warfare. But the general practice of training for that warfare has to be consistent. Right, we, we you go out into the field and you practice attacking and defending and attacking and defending and a raid and 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 every other thing that you can do. You got to do the same thing in cyber, right? You need to be on red teams. You need to be on blue teams. You need to be on the green and purple and every other color that we have under the sun teams. You need to get those experiences of 
knowing how you would exploit something, how, you know, the adversaries that are out there are going to exploit you. And, and that's the only way you're going to keep your head on a swivel in Cyberland. Yeah, it's honestly, uh, I was thinking as you guys were talking, it's kind of like uh, Chosen Reservoir and good old Chesty Puller. Um, he was surrounded, and which was good because he can now fight in every direction. And that's kind of cyberspace right now. There is no frontal assault in you're cyber. You're always surrounded. Always you're surrounded. always surrounded. <laughs> and you don't have the crack of a bullet over your head to orient you towards the enemy. You have a log. And that's a completely different environment to train towards, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and it's it's really important uh, that that we keep in mind that you know all of that training, all of that learning, uh, as you guys said, is something that's kind of a, a backdrop so that we can make uh, a quick decisions. Uh, so it makes uh, complete sense. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Another quote that I found in there, or you know, it was attributed, I believe, to a, a different M MCDP, but I thought it was really important, is the MCDP-7 defines competence as having sufficient knowledge, judgment, and skills to perform a particular duty, job, or function. And, and I think a lot of times we focus on the knowledge and the skills, uh, but not so much on the judgment. And, and, you know, as, as I've kind of progressed in my career, I found that, that the judgment is, is really, you know, we talked about our seasoned leaders and we talk about a cadre of more experienced Marines. It really seems me to me that you make that transition from just being knowledge and skills based to really being judgment based kind of as you go on. Uh, I don't know if you all had the same take or kind of saw it differently. Uh, Rich, what do you think? Yeah, John, um, I'm super passionate here, so I'm, I'm really glad you, you asked me to jump in here first. So let, let's be very transparent and blunt, right? Just like and Marine Corps doctrinal publications are very simple, direct. Anybody from the Lance Corporate to the Colonel or the General can read them because they're very matter of fact. Um, let's be matter of fact here. Marines trust leaders that are competent, period, right? And and you're, you're calling out of judgment it is huge, right? Because that's where the trust comes from. So when you're working through a complex problem, the Marines in your charge see how you react to adversity and then how you apply your judgment from previous engagements um, in the Marine Corps, maybe not even in this specific scenario to that problem set. And they also look to see how much humility you have as a leader, right? Are you going to look around and say, hey, we're in a situation where I think this person has the best skills to lead us forward. And then you grab that Marine and you put that him or her in charge and say, go, right? It's not that you have all the answers, but you have the judgment to say, I recognize where the right skill set is to apply to this problem set. And then you decentralize that by giving that person, you know, empowerment and authority to go do that thing while you know you're ultimately responsible, right? So whether they succeed or fail, you kind of take that off them and just empower them to do the thing. So uh, I really just want to say here again that like, Marines trust competent leaders mostly because of their judgment. Now, it becomes really apparent if you don't have the skills and knowledge to do something because you can't even have that conversation, specifically in the cyber. In cyber, yeah. <laughs> yes, Kyle, right? Like, you know, we could say things like uh, DevOps, Sec DevOps over and over and over again, but it becomes really apparent if you're just using buzzwords or you say things like machine learning or artificial intelligence. But then when people ask you, hey, how have you tagged the data and how are you training your model? And then people go, but AI or ML, right? <laughs> so, uh, so anyhow, um, I really believe trust comes from competence and then competence applied through judgment in specific scenarios. So yeah, I'll turn it back over to the group. Yeah, Kyle, do you have any thoughts on, on uh, competence, important or not really? I mean, it depends on what level you're at, obviously. But I think that, you know, we're harping on judgment here. And, uh, you know, we could go all the way to like the new land of cyber warfare and say that JJ did do cyber. But at the end of the day, we have focused in the Marine Corps on judgment as a primary skill, right? Everyone still goes to TBS and, and does all the things about learning how to be a warfighter. But the key there is developing judgment, where if you need to have someone transition from a non-cyber to a cyber role, especially a leadership role, their judgment comes with them. And it just becomes translating the things they know about physical warfare into the things that they learn about cyber warfare and, and making that match. And 
you know, we see this in the outside world too. You know, we're, we're all at war all the time in some way, shape or form. It just depends on, you know, who quote the enemy end quote is going to end up being in this. And it's no different. If you come in without any of those three things, that knowledge, the judgment or the experience to get it done, you're going to be lacking, right? It's, it's three legs of a chair and without one of them, your ass is on the ground and nobody wants that. So yeah, absolutely. Jason, anything you want to add in here? Knowledge and judgment are important, but building that trust up and down that chain of command is imperative. A commander, an infantry commander, doesn't have an ex I don't have an expectation that the infantry commander understands cyberspace, but I do have an expectation as a cyber leader that the commander does listen and ask questions to help him better understand cyberspace. And it's my job to educate and train them on how to effectively use my capabilities or my Marines capabilities on the battle space. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think, you know, Rich and Kyle kind of hit it too of, you know, there, there's judgment inside of the cyber realm, but it's also kind of the judgment to make sure you're putting that all in context in, you know, ultimately this is not the war fighting skill that, that wins the battle. This is, a, this is a supporting skill in that, you know, the judgment to make sure that we're placing the right emphasis in that is all incredibly important. Um, kind of in, in that vein, uh, we all got together before we recorded this podcast and, uh, Rich sent out a link to the, the Jocko podcast episode 227 learning for ultimate winning. Uh, and they, they talk about, uh, the MCDP seven, which we're obviously talking about here. And, uh, one of the things that, that Jocko kept har- harping on is essentially OODA loop and bias for action. Uh, and, and one of the, one of the quotes from the book here, learning enables Marines to think critically, develop judgment and cultivate a bias for action without wanting or needing to be told to do so. Um, and if I could think of just one thing that I, I think really sums up, because I, I've been asked the question a bunch of times, like, what what's it really mean to be a marine in IT? You know, there's there's the joke of like your TO weapon is no longer an M16, uh your TO weapon is a keyboard and a mouse. Um but you know, a bias for action is what I think really sets uh marine IT uh, folks apart and and I think in, you know, as, as we really tend to mature in the cyberspace realm, which you know, obviously expands past IT, uh, I, I think this is a really important thing too, is just continually developing a, a bias for action. Um, Kyle, what do you, what do you think about uh, a bias for action? Is, is this uh, kind of like oversold or is this something that you're kind of seeing uh, out in the civilian world a decent amount as well? No, I, I definitely think that bias for action is uh, the thing that makes good IT people versus bad IT people a thing. Uh, if you think about this in comparison to any other job field, IT folks have the ability to control more of the destiny around them than I think almost anybody except maybe a rifleman on the battlefield. If you think about someone in supply or motor T or lots of the other what we would consider support roles, you know, you can't just like make new trucks or facilitate trucks going from point A to point B on your own. It takes this giant concerted effort where the right IT person in the right place can almost perform magic when it comes to getting ones and zeros from point A to point B. And that's a lot of responsibility. And when you extrapolate that out to an entire battlefield and the support structures and headquarters, Marine Corps and Cybercom and all these other agencies, you have a lot of you know tactical corporals, no matter what your rank actually is. And that leads to a bias for action. If you know something needs to be fixed, you fix it. If you detect something, you say something. Uh, and, and that's sort of the, that's the litmus test that I have for people who don't suck. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and Jason, I think you've got a really good... Uh kind of like vantage point here as a, as a Marine who retired and then went out and, and you've been, it's not just, you know, your, your first, you know, year or 36 months in the civilian world, like you've been doing this for a good minute now. Uh, do you, do you think this whole bias for action thing is a little bit of hype, a, a little bit of Marine Corps cheerleading, or is that a legitimate thing? Uh, and, and something that you see as a big differentiator out in the civilian world? Yeah. I, I, so I don't disagree with anything that you all said, but I, I caution us that a focus on bias for action within IT and within the cybersecurity realm can be dangerous because thinking back to when we first started talking about cyber years ago, and there was this big debate between Title 50 and Title 23 actions and who gets to make the call, that 
the true bias for action within cyberspace or the IT world, you to be good at your job, to really not uh, impact not just the business, but the, the operation, you have to understand the dependencies up and down the equipment string because having that bias for action will create that VLAN storm in Iraq and take down things. The, the, the Marine who had the bias for action to clean up LDAP and decided to delete a file that took down all of Exchange, there's, there's, there's goodness in bias for action definitely on the battlefield, but we, I caution us that thinking about bias for action within cyber and IT could actually be a negative more than it is a positive if you don't understand everything that will change with a simple line of code being deployed. And as someone whose Marine was that guy that deleted LDAP in Western Iraq, I know the, the danger and the incredible ramifications of a, a short action. So, Was that wrong? Should they not have done that? I mean, they were trying to do the right thing, you know, good initiative, incredibly terrible judgment at the time. Yeah, that, but, that judgment we talked about. Yeah. I, I know Rich is like, his knee is probably shaking at this point, uh, dying to say something. Rich, <laughs> Rich, hit it. Oh, yeah, John, uh, I have restless leg syndrome right now. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, um, so let me go back to the pub for a second, because I think you guys are hitting on a, a crucial part of the pub that um, I think Jocko hit on this in his podcast too. So I apologize if I'm uh, plagiarizing something from him, but it's in the pub. So I'm going to take it from there. But uh, you know, the pub goes on to say, quote, maneuver warfare requires intelligent leaders at all levels who possess a bias for intelligent action, end quote. Right. So I, I think this is what we're hitting upon as a group, right? It's that the judgment component is important, but knowing when and where to apply these skills uh, is super important when it comes to bias for action in the moment, right? It's not just bias for action, do a thing, because you're like, oh, that thing needs to be done, and I'm a Marine, and I'm empowered, and I'm going to go do that thing right now. It's a bias for intelligent action, and they make a specific distinction here, because I've never heard that. Full transparency, 17 years in the Marine Corps, right? Never heard the phrase bias for intelligent action before until I read this publication. So inserting that word there, uh, I think by the authors was done deliberately to show that the education part of training and education is important and coupled together with the training, then you actually have this learning that occurred where you can apply some judgment from your past to make a decision. Right. So I think that's why leaders uh, and I think this pub is really certain parts of this pub are, are massively directed, not at the young Marines that are like showing up like sponges and like, I'm ready to learn. Let's go strap it on, get some. Right. It's really directed towards some of our senior folks that are like, hey, you know what? I've been around for a while. I know exactly what to do in this situation because I'm going to do what I did in Iraq and Afghanistan. I'm going to apply the Afghanistan scenario to the next, you know, potentially Indo-Pacific region engagement. Uh, and I, I would caution, so Jason's point here, caution against just applying previous lessons learned to the current situation. So you actually have to learn what the enemy is doing in real time and then apply some judgment in executing an intelligent action in a very bias for action type way. So I wanted to call that out because I think you guys are really hitting on that point. Um, and I think that's what this pub just, it sheds a light on that's a little different than what I've seen in other Marine Corps pubs. I don't know what y'all think about that, you know, back out to the group. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? I'll take this one because, you know, we're, we're talking about a bunch of bias for action. Uh, and and one of the things that the, the book specifically called out was just getting through the OODA loop faster as ultimately that is the goal. And to kind of go all the way back so that the, the listeners who don't know this, uh, there was an aviator uh, named John Boyd from the Air Force, actually, not even a Marine, uh, but as, as often as he is quoted in the Marine Corps, you would think that he was a Marine. Uh, but he came up with the concept of an OODA loop, which is observe, orient, decide, and act. And roughly being, and I, I think everybody kind of hit this uh, pretty well of, you know, part of this is a judgment thing, but judgment needs to be paired with or, or against enemy actions to really cycle into battlefield effects. 
Um, so, you know, if, if you're getting in and you're learning and you're taking after others' models, but you're also intelligently applying it, ultimately the goal of that is to get through an OODA loop faster, make intelligence decisions faster, or at least that that's kind of like my take on it. Uh, Kyle, your thoughts? This is This is complicated, right? Because I feel like I love the OODA loop, like all the things that I try to talk to people about, about how the military prepares you for civilian experience all basically focus upon how you just have a faster OODA loop when you come out of the military and have military experience. But the problem I think we do is it's really hard to convince someone, or, or maybe not convince is the right word, but it's really hard to get someone to understand what that means. And even if you go back and read Boyd's book that he wrote on this, it's, it's a little tough to apply this to Cyberland, where just if you have more experience and more knowledge and more training, you just know the right thing more instinctually than someone who doesn't. And you just have to be willing to do that right thing or do the work required to convince the right person to do the right thing, which is this really weird mix of politics and being at the right place in the right time. And when you're talking about cyber, like having the right permissions, and it gets really hard to explain that in a cyber realm. However, I don't know. I hope that my last little rant here has has helped to clear that up for some people. But I tend to find that that's actually a really difficult concept to apply to this space. Yeah, no, I I think that makes perfect sense, and and it doesn't. Also, not everything necessarily translates. So, yeah, definitely works. Uh, Jason, final thoughts on on the OODA loop and uh, judgment in action. Well, I th I think OODA loop does. You know, if you extrapolate it out to to the the functions for incident response, right? You don't automatically kick the enemy out of your environment, right? You monitor, you contain, you observe, you gather intelligence. And that's that's where I think the, the interesting dynamic is, is that, yeah, we do observe, we do orient, we have to make decisions faster, for sure, on the cyber world or in the cyber world. But it's it's a different set of inputs compared to what we traditionally think about uh, when we when we talk about OODA loop in the military context. Yeah, and you mentioned something there too, Jay, just organizational OODA loop versus an individual's OODA loop is a subtle but very critical distinction. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Hey, so we, we have put a whole bunch of time into the MCDP, and, and I want to move on, but before, there's one quote that I, that I saw in here that I have to hit before we move on. Uh, Leaders of Marines must dedicate time and effort to learning and prioritize mental fitness as much as physical fitness. Plus one. That is a quote in a million years I did not think I would see come out of the Marine Corps. Uh, and, and I think it is incredibly impressive, uh, that, that is put into print and I am quite interested to see if that's something that we choose to put into action or what types, what type of leaders decide to put that into action. Uh, because there's not a single, well, there are very few Marine leaders I have seen that have not highly prioritized physical fitness, uh, fitness as far as learning fitness. Uh, that is a new one for me. Uh, Rich, I am sure you have some thoughts on this. John, can you imagine showing up for uh, reading at 5 a.m., you know, in green on green? That would be amazing. I'd, I'd like to see it in the tracksuit personally, but I, I get your point. Yeah, John. Uh, so, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll pick up from there. So I think what's super relevant to this conversation here is that uh, so most Marine leaders, they, they absolutely still want to be able to uh, have the physical readiness to endure in combat if they have to pick up a rifle, sling it, run forward, and just show their Marines, hey, I'm going to inspire you to do a thing because we're at that point in the situation, right? Situation is either deteriorated to a point where I got to put myself at the front line, right, and lead from the front, which, you know, we all are taught to do that. Like Marine officers don't just shed that responsibility, but you have to be physically prepared to do that, right? So there's a lot of Marine officers that highly emphasize that, which which is good and okay. But, you know, I doubt that getting selected to become a battalion commander 
or getting selected to becoming a regimental commander at that age, when people typically do that, right, which whether they're in their 40s, right, or they're getting to their 40s at that point, they're not going to be able to do the things a young, you know, 21 year old Marine can do. Uh, So I heard General Dunford say one time that we don't promote you at this point anymore for your physical prowess. Although Kyle is a physical specimen, we'll just leave it at that. Um, But realistically, what you get promoted for is your competence and your judgment to lead and train an organization to prepare them for combat and then execute actions against a human will that's trying to outsmart you in the OODA loops that you guys have been talking about previously. So, um, but I think your point is super relevant, John, is that Marine officers have to take a deliberate action to do that in this space, specifically in the cyberspace, right? We have to carry forward our maneuver warfare knowledge, MCDP1, into the cyber domain and then learn, right? Learn reps and sets. How are my teams executing? How do I know that they're actually hitting their mission essential tasks or what we will call METs or their collective training events, CTEs? Um, Because people below me are going to try to rack up those individual training events, either in formal learning centers or somewhere out in a lab somewhere uh, that they're, they're getting these cyber reps and sets on. But as a leader, you have to be able to see what the collective team is doing in the battle space and then outthink your enemy by taking that entire organization to Kyle's point, like learning at an organizational level and reacting in a way that will ultimately make you victorious or give you a competitive advantage in the battlefield. And you're not going to do that by just showing up one day and starting to spout off buzzwords that your organization is mentioning or that you've heard on the news, right? You, you actually have to read about these things. So, um, I'll stop ranting there. I guess that was my knife hand for today, guys. Um, right? Like Rich's uh, daily knife hand. <laughs> but go ahead. Yeah. Well, so Kyle plus one did already. Uh, Jason, I'm guessing you have thoughts here. Uh, you know, I do. It, it's it's so easy to translate Marine Corps doctrine, maneuver warfare, attrition warfare into the cyber world. The words are different, but the actions are the same. And, I, you know, we were all talking before the program started that, you know, when you look at massing fires upon the enemy, that's, you know, that's throwing lots of steel downrange, right? In the cyber world, that's a botnet. So I think it would behoove us as as who we are and where we sit within in the in the military is we we owe it to our Marines and our leaders to help them understand cybersecurity in a warfare mindset by translating those those doctrinal concepts into what that means for leaders and and cyber war, warriors. I mean, I think it's imperative because the, the reason why cyber, in my opinion, hasn't gotten as big as it should be by now is because there's a lack of understanding and translation from cybersecurity to uh, maneuver warfare, uh, doctrinal concepts. Yeah, absolutely. Makes, makes complete sense to me. I, I, love, I love so much of what we've read in this book, and I, I'm pretty sure we could go on for hours about it, uh, but it, it's time to move on because all, all learning is not encompassed in MCDP7. Uh, so kind of like making a hard break here, uh, let's talk about IT certification. So I, I have listened to no less than a dozen podcasts that have talked about IT certifications. Um, I guess, so let's, let's try to make something a little bit different out of this one. And is it important for Marines to continue to focus on IT certifications or is, is the, is that a thing of the old? Is that a pre-cyber concept? And should we think about learning in a different way? Uh, and I had personally had a phone call of about an hour and a half with Kyle on this specific point. So, uh, Kyle, since I know you have quite a few thoughts on this, uh, what, what do you, what do you think we ought to do in this realm? I have this conversation very regularly because I'm I'm very active in helping Marines who are getting out try to find employment and figure out what they want to do when they grow up, which, let's face it, I still don't even know. So uh, it's a continuous learning event. I, I look at it like this now. Getting your certification is net positive, no matter what field you're in. And I equate this now to just reading the manual, right? If I buy some very complicated thing for my home or a power tool or something like that, 
I need to read the manual to make sure I don't chop my fingers off. And I need to make sure that I understand what the fancy laser level thing is, or, you know, all of these features that you just may not know. And that's always how I think of getting your certification. But it is in no way a substitute for experience. And the colloquial story that I share with this is I was on an op uh, when I was stationed over in Okinawa once. And I remember thinking to myself, as I was implementing a piece of technology that it was like super high speed, low drag, and really awesome. And I was like kicking butt, taking names, chewing bubblegum, making the network magic happen, and really kind of going deep into hero complex of like, I'm just going to adapt with the equipment I have and make this thing happen. And then fast forward a year or two, I meet this guy, John Schreiner, at a training center down on Camp Lejeune, trying to get my CCNP. And he presents this chapter on specifically uh, one of the CCMP routing subjects, which would have explained to me exactly how to solve my problem in about 45 seconds that I spent days and days solving simply because I hadn't read the manual on how to do routing the Cisco way. And that's sort of, each of these cover each other. You want to know how to do the thing by doing it, but you also need to know the capabilities that exist within the field or the technology stack or the manufacturer or whatever certification that you're doing. So it's a balance. Saying that one is better than the other is to ignore the macro goal of learning and being better. Yeah, and, and I think and one thing, I, I got to get something in here and then I'll, I'll turn it over to Rich, who I know is going to be able to go on for days on this. So, you know, inevitably what, what Kyle described is like at, at that time when he met me, I was the book guy. Like I had literally no experience with hands on the gear because that's not what Marine Corps officers are supposed to do. However, man, did I read every single book. And ultimately the conversation I had probably a hundred times is, and it's always with a gunny, uh, or, you know, or mass sergeant or something is like, listen, all that Cisco stuff is great. Uh, but we, we, we don't do that in the Marine Corps. All you need to know is the Marine Corps way to do it. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like I get it. We settled on something and, and that's awesome. And maybe that's the right choice. But if you don't understand, like using router protocol is a good idea. Like just because EIGRP is the right call for you, if you don't understand the premise of how OSPF or how BGP is set up, how that makes decisions, you don't understand why your routing protocol is actually the right call for you. You have to understand all of these different things, even the alternatives you chose not to pick, uh, because it all relates and it all brings it all together. Uh, and so to ignore that or to just the study of the Marine way is, is highly detrimental to your learning, uh, you know, kind of like Kyle alluded to there. Um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And as someone who's definitely run OSPF in production while a Marine, don't tell anybody, uh, <laughs> you want another right tool for the job. Absolutely. Yeah. Please, please tell me we've stopped using EIGRP in the, in the Marine Corps. Whoa, whoa. That has its time and place, man. <laughs> yeah. And plus no need to get into implement, you know, individual yeah, implementations right tool for the job. Right. I want them all in my toolbox. Right tool for the job. Exactly. Rich, you, you have any thoughts on this or you're just like, I'm all, I'm above all this. <laughs> no, I definitely have thoughts. I just was, uh, executing some tactical patience to let this one play out, uh, because you guys are, you guys are awesome. Like I, I tell you, I, I love engaging with you, uh, just because you guys challenge me all the time. Um, so which kind of leads into to my point here, right? So I'm going to hit the, the Marine Corps side of the house and then, um, just some personal opinions here real quick. So, uh, so the Marine Corps has leadership traits and principles, right? The first two, the first one, know yourself and seek self-improvement, right? So Kyle, yes, right? If you don't know um, what you're doing or you're coming into a new MOS, you're lat moving, you're doing a lateral move for those that know uh, that the short call there is lat move is starting a new uh, into job. a different domain, you're starting a new job, absolutely. And, and a lot of Marines went through this, right? We had a lot of our intelligence and IT professionals in the Marine Corps move into the cyber domain, right? Which is not really just one or just the other. And it's, it's an amalgamation of both, right? And then some. Uh, so, but the first leadership principle, knowing yourself and seeking self-improvement, that's, that's what people do, right? They go there and either a novice or an apprentice, or they're trying to become one. So they go get these IT certifications, right? At least the baseline level ones. And we have a standard for that, that is well known that companies build uh, curriculum and training material too. And then we go train to that, right? And then the second leadership principle, right? Be technically and tactically proficient. So not only do I know the things, right? Um, that I, I found out by doing some self-reflection to say, I don't know that. I'm going to become technically proficient, but then tactically proficient, I got to be able to apply that, right? 
Um, and we approximate that in training, right? MCDP7 does that, you know, difference between training and education. Here, we're focusing on the training part on the tactically proficient side, getting all those reps and sets. So, you know, the Marine Corps kind of sets you up as a young Marine for understanding, like, you kind of got to know yourself and seek self-improvement, potentially chasing some of those IT certifications. So you read the manual um, that gets you to be the technically and tactically proficient because you're doing reps and sets. But then, you know, when we mature out of that and we just look at this outside of doctrine, right, you have to be able to to look and and train to the hardest environments that you possibly can put yourself in, right? All of the MCDP pubs talk about war fighting as the hardest human endeavor, right? War is the hardest human endeavor because you're facing another uh, a will and life and death is on the line and, and the resources you expend are people, right? So, you know, applying that to this scenario, when we talk about technical training, a lot of folks, I feel, study to the certification, right? I'm going to pick the things out of the training and the manuals I need to get the certification. And then boom, I got a badge, I stick it on my chest, or I put it in my signature block for, for those who really are in the cyber or, or IT fields, right? Or intelligence fields. Um, and then I'm good to go, right? Well, not really, right? You, you really aren't getting into the scenarios in the training part of it that makes this stuff hard, right? When when you get all these restraints where you don't have freedom of movement and you don't have all the information you need to make decisions where you kind of get that fed to you in a training environment, um, you know, one of the best, I say the best, it's not really a plug for them, but um, one, of a, one of the better or best training environments I've seen is the Offensive Security Certified Professional series of trainings uh, because they just say, try harder, right? They don't say, hey, you know what? Here's a hint. Here's a pro tip. I'm going to kind of point you in the right direction when you're trying to either break into a system from the offensive perspective or find the artifact to defend from, from a defender's perspective. They just say, try harder, right? And that forces you to actually use what General Mattis says is the most important uh, amount of space on the battlefield, the six inches between your brain, to actually learn something. Um, so I'll stop ranting there and just say, like, actually being humble enough to know what you're not good at, then chasing down the things to close that gap, and then putting yourself in the most severe training environment you possibly can is really, I think, what makes a warfighting professional. Um, but I'll turn it back over to the group. I, I want to gently disagree with the last statement that you said there, Rich. And just for the interest of argument, I feel like putting yourself in the most difficult position that you can has seriously diminishing returns. And I think that what you need to do is put yourself in slightly more difficult scenarios than you're comfortable with right now and be extremely comfortable being very uncomfortable. But if you go too much, it's the analogy is always, if you play tennis, you're going to get a lot better playing tennis if you play with somebody slightly better than you. If you just go out and play against Roger Federer and get decimated, you know, a million games to zero, you're not going to learn a whole lot. So I definitely think that Part of the leader's challenge in this and in training your Marines and training yourself is knowing where that limit is of your gentle level of uncomfortability, that, that discomfort of just outside where you feel okay and staying there forever and constantly pushing that number up a little bit more, you know, trying to get that 1% better everyday mindset. So Kyle, um, I'm going to just give deference to your Jedi masterness, right? And say, yes. Um, so you're right. I, I, I went in the extreme, right, to the most severe training. I do think there are times where that is valuable. That is where true, you, yeah. You see just, times, yeah. You, you know, but, but it shouldn't be the most frequent. It should be very few and far between. And I think I think the educational community calls that scaffolding, right, where it's like if you're on a pull-up bar, you got to be able to actually jump up and grab the bar. If you can't grab the bar, you're never going to get better at pull-ups, right? But um, so, Yes. Completely agree. Well said, brother. So just to throw my two cents in here from a, a certification standpoint, I've always looked at it as, as a foundation, right? So you can get your CISSP and it gives you, you know, a broad understanding of the eight domains within the security realm. But it's imperative that you get better in one of those domains. And I think that's going to be our challenge in the Marine Corps is how do we find the the right balance of training and that that um 
that ability to do practical application across all those domains. Because, you know, when I was still in, we talked when we when we got the swan, right? And the swan came about and we were like, holy cow, it was designed for a radio operator and a data marine and a wire marine to operate on a system that nobody really understood. Within the cyber realm, because it's so broad, we have to build uh, specialties within the, that cyber domain or that IT domain. So we have those, those skill sets that are not a mile wide, but are a mile deep. And that's where I think our challenge is going to be moving into the future. And then how do you build that team of professionals who have those core skill sets deep, but not broad? Yeah, it's the age old, like, do you want to be a generalist or a specialist? And what are the trade-offs of each, right? Right. And that, and it's kind of the difference between the, the officer side of the Marine Corps and the chief one officer side of the Marine Corps, right? I couldn't agree more as, as the former chief one officer on the call. That's why I threw it out there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Go ahead, John. Yeah, I, 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 I like the general idea of being a generalist. I think that having a broad knowledge is good. But if you're not bringing some deep, deep skill to the table in one form or another, I, I just feel like you're being a commodity at that point instead of some sort of linchpin. Yeah, I want to I want to take this one that the, that Kyle kind of teed up for me. So there was there was a point in my career where one of the colonels that I worked for flat out refused to allow officers to do any training. We were only allowed to do education. Um, and I, I think one of the smarter, you know, and it's all about decision making and judgment, right? One of the smartest. John, decisions- how are you differentiating training versus education here, so that we have the backstory? Yeah, no problem. So uh, officers were not allowed to do any technical training, i.e., anything that involved commands or re- really, I mean, anything other than like Marine Corps offered. So you were not allowed to do a sort of even CISSP, which I would argue, uh, okay. you know, no, you were not allowed to do any kind of like certification type or any technical courses at all. All you could do is go off to like the the most technical thing you could do is go off to advanced comm officers course. Um, so, and so only essentially only Marine Corps style training, nothing commercial or anything like that. And I, I cannot say what an incredible mistake that would have been if I would have listened at the time. Um, so, you know, it, it's one of those things of where you have to, to a certain degree, make your own choices, right? And and those are going to be things that are not going to be popular. Um, but the and and I agree with the, what the group is saying here. But let me just tell you what would have happened if people like Rich and I and so, some other folks out there, we know who they are, just decided to listen to that kind of guidance and, and sat back and said, "Yeah, uh, you know, Marine Corps officers, generalists. So you know, we'll we'll know some stuff about loading some ships and about some MCDPs. Uh, but you know, ah, that technical stuff, we'll leave that to to the gunnies and the chief warrant officers. Like, what a massive mistake that would be. Because in in 2020, I I just don't think that is a realistic option for us anymore. Uh, to Kyle's point, if you don't bring some technical value in some area. I'm not saying super deep in every area and you're not supposed to be a chief warrant officer, uh, but just sitting back and being a pure generalist, I don't think going to cut it anymore. Yeah. And you know, we all know that scene in office space where I, I bring the problems from the people to the engineers is sort of the place you never really want to be. You want to have some critical role that you are fulfilling or some deep value that you're bringing, even if that's just mentorship to your junior Marines or to your command. Absolutely. Uh, Rich, any uh, final thoughts? Uh, I'll simply say I think that there is definitely this this brilliance in knowing the the basics of officership, right? In general, and what I mean by that is is just knowing where your gaps are, both from like a military profession perspective, and then also from a technical competency perspective in knowing that in order to be good at making judgment calls in both of those scenarios, you actually have to work pretty darn hard on a daily basis. So if you don't have like a daily learning goal, then you're probably not doing something right. Now that learning goal doesn't have to be the same thing every day. It's kind of like having a daily physical goal, like people count their steps, right? is kind of weird as that sounds, but like, I think you should have a daily, especially as a Marine officer, 
whether you're restricted or unrestricted, you should have a daily learning and physical and mental and spiritual goal. Just pick three goals, try to do those things. And if you don't hit them daily, great, but at least you're setting goals, right? Which allows you to kind of measure yourself, get after that first leadership principle, right? Know yourself and seek self-improvement. I've constantly lived my life in fear of becoming the like old person that doesn't know anything about the tech. Like it, it's, we all have had leaders in the past that we look at and go, wow, that person, you know, their synapses crystallized so many years ago and they've just, you know, crusted up and haven't learned something about to, to stay relevant. Let that fear kind of drive you into learning all of the time. Like my, my wife is always shocked at the amount of stuff that I'm buying, either books or weird pieces of tech or things to try out because I'm just trying to stay endlessly curious to avoid at some point it will happen, but to avoid becoming that sort of tech dinosaur. Yeah. And, and I mean, the Marine Corps is, is made a, uh, made a history of this, you know, the institutional paranoia and, and continual, uh, search for relevance is what the Marine Corps has done to stay relevant and stay great. And I think on a personal level, if you have that same kind of mindset, uh, that that's the thing that's going to sustain you in, in my daily life. I have a list of podcasts that I listen to on a regular basis. So every morning when I'm making my breakfast, I'm getting ready in the morning, I'm listening to some podcast uh, to make me better. Uh, on, on the weekends, when I'm in the middle of either cleaning or doing some kind of menial thing, it's normally an audible book uh, that I'm getting through on. Uh, and a lot of times my audible books will go back between tech stuff, cybersecurity, you know, personal betterment and kind of, you know, agile project management type stuff. Um, and then I still do to try to remain relevant. I'll do some sort of technical thing, uh, you know, maybe a couple hours every other weekend or something like that. So I'm in GNS three doing some routing and switching stuff or in the cloud doing cloud deployments, or at least reading about those types of things. Um, so I, I'd say it's a, a good blend of that, but at the very least, pick a couple podcasts that work for you and don't just do the cybersecurity podcasts, you know, do IT operations, do cybersecurity, do the ones that talk about how people are spending their budgetary money, you know, so don't just do the highly technical stuff, but also don't just do the generalist stuff either. Kind of get, get a good blend of all of that. Uh, Rich, I know you've got a pretty uh, deep uh, personal learning program. What do you do? Yeah, thanks, John. So I mean, I would say similar in ways different, right? So for me, I think it's super important to stay up to date on current events, right? So um, I take in all the social media um, and and just try to parse that in the morning. So like John says, um, when I, I'm a big coffee drinker, as Jason knows, uh, but in the morning while I'm making coffee, I'm looking at the current events and I'm picking one that I don't know anything about, Right. Because it's, it's really awesome to kind of get focused on the things that you're familiar with and you love that stuff and it's your passion. But I generally pick one thing in the morning from social media that I don't know anything about. And I take the five minutes it is to scan a tweet that links you somewhere and then you just kind of read through that, right? Uh, and then usually before that, I try to do what many officers in the Marine Corps have coached me to do in the past, which is pay yourself first from a physical uh, perspective. So um, every Marine has their own different training regiments when it comes to the physical training, but, um, I'm a big runner. And so what I'd like to do is, uh, like John said, is I'll listen to some professional thing while I'm running, because it just, it really gets my brain going while I'm exerting some physical energy. Now, caution, judgment, safety there. I won't do that in low light in a, in a crowded area with cars when I'm running. But, uh, so especially in the wintertime. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who doesn't, who does not wear their glow belt everywhere they go? I mean, that's just, yeah. I mean, it's just wrong, Kyle, but anyhow, yeah, my, my point is I try to pick one, I'll be very uh, concise here. Sorry for ranting. So I pick one physical thing to do one current event, and then I think about a way to make myself more efficient. So those are kind of my three learning areas uh, per day. And then I have a weekly goal for Marine Corps warfighting stuff. So I'll, I'll try to dive on one area uh, professionally from a warfighting perspective. And I usually do that on Fridays when people are kind of ramping down if they're not in a combat environment. But uh, yeah, that's me. I'll kick it over to Jason. Yeah, for me, you know, I kind of split it into two things. Um, one, being prepared for my day or prepared for my week or prepared for the the next quarter or the next year of of my work. So I spend a lot of time just getting smarter about the problems that we're running into today so I can be a better leader and advise 
um, my engineers on a course of action that makes the most sense in our current environment. So it, it's more, I would call it tactical. My strategic reading though is looking long-term and in 10 or 15 years down the road, like what are the really cool things that I don't understand today that are going to be a problem into the future? And the things that I've been reading now, like I love reading the MIT site, right? The, the computer science site at MIT. There's always some cool research that's going on out there that causes you to think differently about what you're seeing today and, and how to prepare yourself for the future. The other things that I read a lot about is like quantum computing and how are we going to do cybersecurity, you know, 20 or 30 years down the road or the adversarial AI component like AI and ML is some really cool stuff that we're doing today to make our lives better, to make uh, decisions faster. But how can that technology be flipped on its head and be used against us in a negative fashion by the enemy? And though, so I kind of, I flip-flop between how do I prepare for my day and then how do I think more long-term and strategic? That's, that's my learning routine. Awesome. And Kyle, did you want to go into any detail on yours or did you pretty much hit it with just all kinds of crazy stuff? Uh, no, I'll, I'll drop really quickly in there too, but uh, I'll, I'll echo the podcast thing. I, uh, my world is all 100% cloud-based. That's what I do all day, every day. So I actually subscribe to AWS, Google, and Azure's blogs and their podcasts that the, they do. And there's some, some of them are official, some of them are unofficial, but generally just to be caught up on, they usually happen weekly, what's happening in that space. And then a big part of my learning is I love to do, I love to get into the tech and play with it. I, I tend not to love to read about things in a structured technological way with a book. I also kind of think that by the time you get your book published, you're probably six months out of date. And let alone by the time I find that the book exists and then read it, I'm 12 to 18 months out of date. So I subscribe to those blogs from the cloud providers. And whenever there's something new that comes out that I think is kind of cool looking, I go play with it. I go launch a lab. I go, you know, set up some platform credits and launch a thing and try to play with whatever it is. Um, and I always try to bend it back to Minecraft because I can get my kids involved. So if there's a weird way that I can use some sort of cloud technology to enhance my Minecraft experience, that's how I always bend my learning towards, which sounds goofy. But when you realize how extensible that game kind of can be and how the infrastructure can be run in so many different ways, it it's sort of cool to have a constant in your life that you can... Uh, you know, mold your training around. So even if you were just like, I want to run a website uh, and then, you know, go to the nth weirdest levels of the security side of it, do it. And then on a you know personal professional level, I do like what you said, John, I, I try to balance the books that I read against something for fun, something for learning, something for personal development, and then back to tech. Yeah, that makes, uh, that makes perfect sense. Awesome. Hey, so I think we are, we are pretty much at time here. Uh, so again, everybody, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you can connect with us on social media by following uh, twitter.com backslash USMC underscore TF Phoenix. That's USMC underscore Tango Foxtrot P-H-O-E-N-I-X. Uh, Jason, any social media that you would like to plug? No. <laughs> Outstanding. Ironically, that is the same answer literally everybody who comes on this cast has to say. So again, thanks for joining us. Everybody have a good one.